Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders to influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. One of the big culture killers, and in fact, in this great resignation that we're in, right, one of the big issues that employers have is high turnover. And one of the reasons for high turnover, uh, separate from compensation packages and all that, and career growth, but one of the big reasons people jump ship is because of their boss. That's statistically proven by the Gallup polls year over year. And one of the big reasons with, and there's many reasons why they leave their boss and why their boss is not a good boss, at least in their mind, but that's a big one. Feeling devalued. What does that look like? What does that look like? Whether you've experienced it or you just have some ideas on what that looks like, what does it look like to be devalued by your boss, even if it's unintentional? The biggest thing for me is, is not receiving feedback. Mm. So, and it doesn't have to be glowing feedback all the time, but just feedback in general to sort of know that I'm doing a good job or not. And then also, you know, a boss that is, is sort of looking out for me and helping me, you know, with opportunities that I may not even be aware of. Those are two of the most critical things for me. Yeah, that's great insight, Gerald. And you know, that brings up one of the blind spots that bosses often have. And uh, in fact, I used to say this in my younger years as a boss is, well, I just don't like to micromanage. So I like to just give you free reign to run you know, with all of your talent and do all of your things. But in reality, that's a blind spot because like you said, my people didn't really want that free reign. They wanted to be creativity, the availability of creativity and innovation, but they need feedback. People need feedback. Totally agree with you. And I think it's a, a fine line because like the micromanaging, that's something that early on in my career killed me. I just like, it's like, hire me to do my job. If I'm not doing something right, tell me, but don't watch every little step I make. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, go find a robot or somebody else that, you know, to do that. Right. And just, you said that uh, now, you know, imagine having an environment where you could actually say that to your boss or your team manager and say, this is the way I want to work. How do you work? Let's work on this together. And and actually be heard and seen in that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, I think one of the, the biggest things is, is, and I'm sure it's not only in the industry I'm in and the, the interactions I've had, but you have situations where people are created to be managers that don't have any managerial background. And it's just that they're successful in what they do. So if you're in accounting or finance, you're a, fin- you're a successful finance accounting person. If you're in sales, you're a successful salesperson. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a successful manager and supervisor. <laughs> yeah, you you nailed that one <clears throat> so often. And that is, that is very much the case is people get promoted because they are good at what they do, right? Uh, and they don't necessarily have the skill set to become a manager, uh, which is not always a bad thing because you all, we all have to start somewhere, right? But the, the boss, the, 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 the higher up has to be proactive in developing that person's management skills. Uh, and then there's a fine line between this idea of being a manager and being a leader. So you'll have great managers sometimes that manage their processes, get the tasks done, their projects are on task, 
but they're not great at people skills or they, they think they are sometimes, but they're not because their people are leaving, <laughs> right? What causes people to feel devalued? And then obviously that's the way we're pitching this question, but the reverse is the learning part of it is learning from all these bad things, all these mistakes. We can go, oh, okay. So I need to be careful about that, right? I need to watch that as a blind spot. So we'd love to hear from others. What do you think? Or Mark, anybody, what do you think? What causes people to feel devalued? I'm letting somebody else answer first. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, you've got a great book, right? Relationship Matters. And not. if every manager owned that book, we would have a problem. Yeah. I think the, the main thing is that very thing, right? That they feel valued through connection. So when they, when they feel isolated or they don't feel connected, even even to, like to the vision or to the people. Um, I think then you don't feel valued. You just do it a nine to five. I saw a great piece the other day on person's YouTube about this very subject and how the work environment has changed over the years and and the value of work has uh, changed so much. And so there's so many people that are just have found the courage, maybe be in spite of or because of the COVID restrictions and whatnot. They've actually found that, hey, it's time. Um, I don't want to do something that doesn't have value. So I think the connection is a big piece. And the second one I thought of was just that there's purpose in it, that there's a meaning, they, they feel meaningful work is being honored or being uh, recognized. So mm. That's my two. Uh, it's really good, Mark. Thank you for sharing. And, and Mark, you know, um, actually everyone here, you said the word connection. Like, what does connection really mean to people? Because somebody, it's just, hey, hi, how are you? And to others, it's totally different. How do you set those guidelines for yourselves to get connected or feel connected? For me, connection, uh, if you can think of it as a receptacle, uh, electricity receptacle, you're pushing it. it. Connection has to go deeper than a hello. It, it's it's where you feel like you belong and you create others to belong. There's this, this saying I heard once, it's just, we want it to belong before you believe. So if you think about it, if you want somebody to believe in the company, believe in vision, I think it's much more powerful if they actually belong first. So I think connection, you feel like you belong. I, I also will borrow from a sports analogy. Like, you know, when you hear athletes say, well, I'm playing for my, the guy next to me, I'm playing for the girl next to me. I think when you have that sense coming into work, like I'm, I'm in a team here and I'm working, I feel connected because I want to make them successful. It's not all about me. And I think that's a good measurement. If you feel connected, it's like, yeah, I would fight for these people. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Like that you know, that uh, your question, Nikki, about and comment Mark about connection. Here's a, here's a classic example recently. Uh, so my girlfriend works for a large, you know, large organization, thousands of employees. She's got a direct manager who then reports directly to a director. Uh, my girlfriend's got a great relationship with the, the director, and this is a new manager for her as she took a, stepped into a new role and her father passes away. She takes bereavement and the new manager who is considered a SME, a subject matter expert, right? Um, one of those that Gerald brought up earlier, expert in what they do, but brand new to management doesn't really, you know, and thinks that they're the stuff, by the way, she comes back from bereavement and her manager, the SME jumps right into process and duties and tasks, doesn't ask a thing about how she's doing. 
no connection whatsoever. She gets on, has a, a meeting scheduled with the director. The very first thing out of his mouth was, oh my gosh, Tracy, how are you? Right. How are you doing? Right. Like really connected with who she is, not just what she does for the company. Right. Huge difference. So the feeling devalued by the one and completely valued by the other. And Kevin, that's great. You know, and it's interesting you said that because we have such a good habit of just saying, Hey, how are you doing? Yeah. Do we really mean that? Do we really want to know how are you doing? Or does mm -hmm. that just become such a nicety that we just say it and then move on to the next thing? Mm -hmm. Right. And then most of us answer appropriately, oh. right? I'm fine. Good. I'm all, it's all good. It's become a greeting, right? It's, yeah. yeah. It's another form of hello. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things I, uh, when I had my IT company, I, I had a rule, check your baggage in here was a big side that I had. And it was basically check your baggage at the door, but go say hi to everybody and then say hi to me last. And the reason for that was I really wanted to see how you were doing for that day. Because if you were carrying some baggage from home or whatever else, let's deal with it. Let's talk through it. If you need to go back home, let's go back home. And then the vice versa was when you're leaving, Say bye to everybody and say bye to me last, because if you're carrying baggage from work, I don't want you taking it home. And we built that connection, the relationship, so that people actually felt valued and connected. Absolutely. And by the way, I want to acknowledge uh, the chat window here. So for those who haven't seen it, we are talking about uh, what makes an employee feel devalued, right? And uh, and then Kelly, you had a great uh, comment there, and, I, and I, I'm going to summarize just the last part because everybody already read it, but. Even being connected enough to your people to understand where they thrive and to help them get there, right? So, because it's okay if you've got the wrong person in the wrong spot and you can find a spot for them to thrive, then everybody's a winner. Oh, for sure. And uh, I love that analogy you used there, Kelly, because yep. when you think about Wayne Gretzky, incredible player, not the greatest coach, and definitely not a great owner. So, Stay in your lane, be the person that you need to be in the lane and then work towards where you want to go towards and then have the managers that work with you and listen to you and, and you can communicate with them as well. One of the things I've learned is as we, as we do our training with our, with our companies, it's not just the managers that have to step up. It's actually the team members have to step up and communicate as well to actually say what they need. A lot of them are afraid of saying what they really want and how they feel because of insecurities about losing their jobs or whatever that whatever's in the back of their minds. True communication happens when you get rid of all the BS, and I'm not talking blind spots, between your ears and have true conversations. Let me uh, counter that for a second. Oh, I love your challenges, Kevin. Uh, sure. It's probably just a bunch of BS anyway. Uh, <laughs> but no, really, I, I totally agree with you, Licky. I mean, it, it, it is on everybody's part to step up and communicate, but that is not as easy as it sounds. If you've got a boss that where you don't feel safe, you don't trust that boss and their motives, you know, you don't feel any connection. It's hard to, to take that leap of faith and step up and say, this is how I feel. Right. Or, or even more so, which is very important is to have boundaries and to be able to say, Hey, that's not acceptable. You know, you're treating me this way and that's, you're violating my boundaries. You know, you've stepped across the line. It's not, it's not acceptable. Right. But that's hard to do. Not for sure. Challenge accepted. And I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> Just another perspective is all it is. More blind spots. If you are in leadership at any level, 
From frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. What else causes you or others to feel devalued in the workplace? Like what, what actions, what behaviors, what comments, what, you know, think about something in the past, maybe from your experience, you know, what can somebody do, say, or not do, or say, that would make you feel not valued, make you start looking for another position somewhere? Yeah, and if there's any managers here, we'd love to hear from the managers as well, their perspective of what they're looking for from their team members to get connected. Mm-hmm. What's working, what's not working. So it's an open forum. Uh, turn your videos on if you can and have a conversation with us. Yeah, Veronica, absolutely. No validation, right? Like you're working your tail off and doesn't seem to matter. Uh, and I love that uh, right in the middle there, you said acknowledge the unique things people have to offer. That's uh, That's another blind spot so often. Uh, and that's a blind spot we all deal with. Uh, psychology 101, we tend to be, you know, like to hang around and be with people that are like us. And so we have to, you know, break that mold and, and really go out of our way sometimes to want to learn from others who are very much not like us and value their unique perspective and realize my perspective is not necessarily the right perspective. It's just my perspective. I think a couple of things is, is being humble as a leader, you know, knowing that just because you're the leader or you're the boss, the main boss or a boss doesn't mean that you, to what you said, you don't know everything. And then also knowing that, you know, different people have different perspectives on things. Like sometimes I'll have a, a focus on what I think is the correct answer. And I come across as being fairly determine that that's what it is. However, I'm also open if anybody questions or says, well, that doesn't sound right or whatnot. And then I have to think it through. And then I immediately, once I'm like, okay, I understand exactly what you're saying and you are dead on. I, I make sure to let them know that yes, you challenged and whatnot, but that is your response or your solution is magnitude better than what I was thinking and just, you know, opening up and, and being appreciative. And then also it's, it's all, you know, a two way street. So being mindful of, of what you do to the people you supervise, as well as the people that their interactions with you sort of back and forth, because, you know, unless you're the head, head boss, you always have somebody else you're reporting to. And even if you're the head boss, you still have customers or somebody that you're reporting to anyway. So it's that, again, that sort of give and take. Absolutely. Good insight. Anybody else? Who else? I think it's also about taking that initiative. And sometimes you have to have that self-confidence to do that. I just wanted to connect to what Kelly was saying. Like, if somebody does something, you know, it'll have that ripple effect that lifts the spirits of everyone. Uh, one of the things I follow on Twitter, I'm on bike Twitter. I know some of you are bikers. Um, so there was a conversation about, should you as a biker wave as a, uh, to a car driver saying, hey, thanks for letting me pass or whatnot. And some people say, no, because that's my right. And I say, no, I wait every time because I'm going to meet at least one driver that I'm going to make an impact that, oh, I stopped for this bicyclist and they waved at me. 
I did a good thing today. So I just look for, for those little things that hopefully I have an effect on. And so I tried to put that in my work situation as well, where taking the initiative, you know, what my friend calls, go for a small win, just like make right reference, just move that needle a little bit. And it, it can have a huge effect in your group or even in the organization. Absolutely true. I, I love the, the comment, it's the little things. And Kelly, I like what you just said there, have enough confidence in themselves to allow employees to blow and grow. I'm also going to add to have enough awareness of their own emotional intelligence of where they're at before they can judge others' emotional intelligence. Well, look, that's a, uh, that's an interesting comment because most of us, and I think if we took a poll, even just today of, of this group, most of us would say we're, we've got pretty good self-awareness. I know I, I, I used to think that. <laughs> And then I started understanding it and I was like, oh, I was pretty unaware. The statistics show that really about maybe 10 to 15% of us are actually self-aware. So we all have a lot more room to grow in that area. But when we think we're self-aware, that creates all these blind spots. When we think we've got things figured out, that we're good with people, that we know how to lead. And, and yet we, we have so many blind spots that we can't see. That's the nature of blind spots. But our employees see it and they feel devalued because of it. Right. So that's the purpose of today's conversations. How can we be better leaders? How can we be better managers? How can we be just, well, frankly, every session ends up how, how we can be better people all, all in all. Right. Tell us what you're looking for from your team members to get connected. What do you need from them or what's something different that you can do to connect with your team members and what's worked, what hasn't worked? I look for communication, whether it's whether they agree with me or not agree with me, but just communication. Like I have bi-weekly meetings with my team and sometimes I feel I'm just on this on a stage for an empty room because nobody says anything. And I ask so many times questions, comments, and concerns, anything for the group, and it's just freaking. But I can have the one-on-one, -on -one, but the group conversation doesn't seem to work. I love that. And now you know how we feel when nobody talks to us on this uh, on these calls. <laughs> um, so, uh, Vera, when you, when you talk, you said that, you said that key word communication and what is communication? Is it a one-way communication or is communication two ways, right? And how do we feel safe? Like a lot of us here today are new. A lot of you, we, we haven't seen before. So you've kind of just gauge where we're at, build some trust, understand what's being said, get to know each other before we can actually start speaking. And Vera, you've, you've been with us for a while and you're great at uh, stepping in when we need to. So I appreciate that. But in communication, trust is definitely required, right, Mark? Absolutely. It's, it's always bi-directional, by the way. And it doesn't always have words attached to it. Our body language and tone of voice are, make up more. In fact, it's 55% uh, body language, 38% tone of voice, and it's only 7% of the words you speak that actually communicate something. So um, I call the body language and tone of voice the rocket fuel for the words. So uh, a negative or positive, right? So that you're, you hit it on the head. It's always bi-directional. So even if, if Vera is asking for a response and doesn't get a response, the no response is communicating. And so we need to understand that we're always communicating, whether you think you are or not. So you might as well get a hold on it and do it well. 
because you're going to be communicating anyway. Your nonverbal communication, right? That's a key, key part in, in communicating. Yeah. So Dana, I love uh, a great quote you found. If, uh, if your people trust you, there's nothing you can't say to them. Love it. Isn't that right? And Natalie, what, uh, tell me more, force them nicely <laughs> to share their knowledge with each other in the, in, in the group. Fill in the blanks on that one. What do you mean by that? Well, to start, you or you need to start somewhere. So when people eventually feel that I have somebody's back, then they are more willing to trust mm -hmm. and more willing to open up. So I do my work and I keep and gaining all this knowledge I have about my tasks and stuff. So when I start create, that's another part was creating a backup. So I have another person, I start training and share my knowledge. And then at meetings, I say like, hey, I ran into this problem, issue, concern, whatever. And this is how it was handled. It doesn't have to have all the greedy, nasty details, but just overall share concern and how it was handled. So everybody gain knowledge and they see me opening up and share because sounds like, you know, the world is perfect and only my world is going to hell for some reasons. Everything is something wrong with me because everybody else is doing great. But when I share that, well, no, my world is not ideal, but this is how things were handled. Then everybody hears that. And then, you know, I start building trust because they're like, oh, okay, if she was willing to share with me that. That means she trusts me and everything is based on trust. So I have to start somewhere and in work environment and especially teleworking, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. well, thanks for, thanks for expounding on that. In fact, you, you reminded me, Licky and I just wrapped up one of our, uh, five month programs with a cohort. And so we do these leadership development programs are totally virtual and we take 12 to 18 people through these weekly sessions, uh, with, uh, learning and application and sharing and reflection and so forth. And in this particular group, we had the executive team along with a number of other management levels below them. And one of the executives shared their workaholism. I mean, basically opened up and said, you know, I, I, I never really thought much about this, this self care concept. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm like always working and I even take my work home and it's, it's burning me out. And I remember one of the, the younger, newer managers in the group heard that and she responded in the group, which was great. And her comment was something to this effect. It was like, wow, you know, hearing you say that just literally freed me because I thought I was the only one feeling this way. And now I realize you are too. And I appreciate now. And of course the, the, the meeting went in this area of they all started working on self-care and taking more time for themselves and building time into their schedules. So as you said, Natalie, it's like, as a leader, if you're vulnerable enough to be open and to say what's really going on or to share your knowledge and just say, Hey, it's not all perfect. You know, I've got issues I'm dealing with or I'm running into a snag or whatever your people see that. And they build that, that builds trust because you're can connect with somebody who is vulnerable. You can't connect with somebody who has this facade of being perfect. Vulnerability as well, right, Kevin? Mm -hmm. It's all about vulnerability and showing your true authentic self 
And Natalie, you know, as you were saying, sharing your conversation there, what came to my mind, the user was force, and you can force an incredible conversation. You can create an incredible conversation and connection as we become vulnerable, as we can show our true selves to our team members, then people can really relate to us. One other thing just came into mind. Um, one of my bosses, he was saying that I asked him, like, how do you connect with employees? And he said that he is always trying to find out what is important to them, to each of the people. So some people are really crazy about their grandkids. The other one likes animals, dogs, horses, you know, you name it. Others like sports, fishing, you know, whatever. And once they know that and something important comes in and they really need this person's expertise, but instead of come and jump on them, which sometimes happens, say like, you know, I really need you to do this for me. But on a normal days, he was coming in and said, like, hey, how's your kids? How are you? You know, how's things? How are they doing? So just a little small chat chat. And then at the end, it's like, oh, great, blah, blah. And then, hey, um, by the way, I would you please do this for me? I need it by whatever. So first he was taking effort to find out what is important to those people. And instead of, unless that is emergency, instead of jumping on them with like, chop, 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 give me this. So have a little talk, keep that connection going, and then ask or pop the question about work. So that seems like works great. I mean, he's one of my most favorite managers of all times. That's awesome. Colleague of mine in the National Speakers Association had the good fortune of working with the Ritz Carlton group some time ago and told me a story firsthand that the one that she experienced and two that she was informed about because the culture at the Ritz Carlton is, and I believe it was, um, the CEO heard that actually created this culture, began this culture is that the CEO and the leadership know all of the staff, not just by name but know all of the staff and can do that, Natalie. It's like, how's your kids? You know, how's your ill spouse? Are they getting better? I mean, you can bump into the, you know, the CEO can walk through the hallway, bump into one of the, the, uh, the housekeepers and be able to know them by name and know a little bit about them. That's where you're connecting with people. It's not just do your job and do it well, right? If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now back to the program. I would like to share something. Yeah. Um, um, so I know I've worked with the same um, manager for about 16 years now. And um, pre-COVID, we sat right next to each other. And I've been remote now for almost three years. And I would say, and he would agree, that our relationship became stronger. And I'm just like really baffled by that. But we intentionally scheduled or I intentionally scheduled time once a week, every Friday 
at a specific time where he's able to carve out time. I've got dedicated time. And I never would have dreamt that we would be have such a successful partnership. It just amazes me. I, I know we, we focus on a lot of things, you know, and carve out that time. But prior to that, all those years, we sat right next to each other. I pop into his office every now and then. But we didn't have structure to that meeting time. And it just grew exponentially. I'm just amazed by it. Wow, that's awesome. And, you know, that's a really good tip right now for anybody in leadership is to build time into the work schedule. Let people know that they have the freedom. Take moments and to build connection and build relationships. It doesn't have to ask, task, task. We have a mission to accomplish, get her done and don't say a word, right? That's yes. the, the old command and control style. Leadership is gone. It doesn't work anymore. People want to be connected. Yeah, we don't have an agenda necessarily. I want to write down some things I want to make sure I cover, but it's more, you know, like you said, it's more like, okay, how's this going? What's going on here, you know, in your family or over here, whatever it could be work-related as well. But it has made such a drastic improvement. And I never would have dreamt it. But of course, true, I went through the blind spot program with you guys a while back. And I think that was the beginning of helping <laughs> out. <laughs> nice, nice. That's good. That's good to hear, Veronica. And, Great. You know, um, when I hear you speak on that, I, I think of it as how do we speak with friends? How do we speak with our family members? You know, we get to know what they're about, what the dog's doing, what the kids are up to. And that builds a relationship. Now, there is a fine balance between, you know, spending four hours talking about the dog and not, not getting the work done. It's a, but you can have that great conversation, build a relationship. And if you want to talk about the dog for four hours, go for a drink after and do that. And that's, that builds a connection even stronger. But my guess also, Veronica, is that as that, uh, that one hour a week probably created 10 hours of efficiency that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And I think that's one of the problems I, I commented in the chat is that I think we have this, this idea that busyness is efficiency and that, and that, you know, we have to just that bottom line is king. Right. And I, I just think that you highlighted a, a, a great principle that I believe, and that is that that intentional investment time will create far more efficiency and loyalty than standing over them and command and control for for hours at a time. So uh, that's a great illustration of how you build connection in an organization. I appreciate that. I want to say too that in the past I felt like, you know, probably because I was there all the time, you know, it was like, okay, I could blow Veronica off. But for some reason through the pandemic, um, my manager pretty much was very intentional and still now like, oh, Veronica, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be 15 minutes late or can we reschedule? But very, very mindful, very respectful of, of that connecting time. That's great. So good things came out of COVID. <laughs> and Brock, I love that just the, the, because it's such a virtual world now um, and very widely accepted. I and mean, some companies aren't even going back to, uh, you know, in workplace environments. Uh, some are doing hybrids, you know, uh, my girlfriend, she's permanent remote now, her and her entire team, which actually for the company allows them to hire people all over instead of just local, really great things. But I love the tip because 
because it's a virtual world, I wonder how many people don't realize that, you know what, encourage these one-on-one -on -one virtual sessions. If you're in a remote team, you still have to connect. Yeah. I even now do that. We just have, we have a very small department, but I do that with others in the department. I do it monthly though with them intentionally. And it's just kind of catching up because I actually am one of two people in the entire organization that's a hundred percent remote. Mm. And so I relocated out of state over the last year. So I know I have to make the effort. And so now I'm looking at other options. Um, as I have a big influence over the entire, I work for a school district. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, how now do we connect? Because before I could do it in person. So now I'm trying to figure out other ways that I can connect with all of those folks on a more frequent basis. Nice. Wow. That's mind blowing, Veronica. I mean, I've just had this moment where you're like, I work for a school district, but you're out of state, out of the area then that's, that's a paradigm blower right there. It's like, okay, if a school district can do remote, boy, anybody can do it. Well, you know what, Kevin, what, what I hear is that there's some trust. There was some communication built there. There's some awareness between yourself, Veronica, and your leaders to allow that to happen. So mm -hmm. well done. Ball that recipe up and let's sell that. Yeah. All <laughs> right. Yeah, I've got a friend who is a very successful business consultant, helps businesses, you know, with their bottom line, helps them grow. And uh, does a really great job, has a really great team who is forced into doing Zoom meetings. Whereas in the past, he would meet with a client once a week in office, go through the processes and all the other stuff. And it was forced into Zoom. But now it's it's funny because they're, as soon as they could go back into the, the office, they quit doing Zoom, they went back to the office. So he and I get together frequently and I'm continually challenging. It was like, okay, why'd you do that? So do you really enjoy that 30 minute drive to that company across town? And then, you know, the 30 minute drive back, is that productive? Not really, uh, but you know, there's this, this idea that being in person is so much better. It's like, okay, so what, what about a hybrid? What about an occasional drop in and the rest of it all very efficiently done via zoom. He's actually considering this at this point, but yeah, it's, it's tradition. It's, it's what, uh, what I always refer to as the business as usual blind spot. Right. It's the way we've always done it. It's the way we'll always do it. It worked this way. It's not broken. Why fix it? You know, all those cliches that everybody loves to throw out when they just, when the reality is they're just not willing to be innovative. You know, I really actually feel like I'm still in the district. I'm very immersed into everything that's going on. When I worked and lived in the district and I were, I never watched the board meetings. I never went to the board meetings. I do that now. I feel like I'm more connected than when I was physically there. I feel like I'm much more efficient with my time. I don't have people stopping in my office to chit chat or for me to be distracted with some rumors that are going on that that's outside of me now. And I can be so much more productive, just very focused. Oh, I love that. So you basically, that's a good point. Like we need to make a note of that when we get, you know, when we talk to our uh, leadership groups about the, the, when we get to the gossip section, yeah. you just need, okay, we can, we've got the solution for gossip. Everybody go virtual. You're now all remotes. <laughs> there is no more water cooler talk. There's no water cooler. That's right. Yeah. But there's private chat. People still do that. Uh, private chat and Zoom. Oh, I guess, <laughs> I guess gossip is much more systemic. They're so close to an answer there. <laughs> Kevin, I'm talking to people about you right now on private chat. <laughs> 
I believe that. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so we've talked about feeling devalued in the office place and building connections, relationships, trust, in-person versus virtual. What else comes up for people? And we've talked about emotional intelligence and being aware of the emotions that are, that are occurring for the managers to build a relationship. I, I just want to share, and, and I apologize if you all talked about this a little bit earlier, but you know, just some experiences that I've seen with, I have two uh, adult daughters and um, some of the um, unfortunate experiences that they've had with their managers. I think a lot of times, and I'm sure you would agree that, and I've shared this with my girls, that a lot of times how people are feeling on the inside is what comes out. And it may not be anything to do with you. It's all about them. They're just, you know, reflecting that on you. And so many times that can be very frustrating for that person, I'm sure as well, but they're not truly understanding maybe their awareness level themselves. So they project these issues on others. Veronica, we call that imposter syndrome or limiting beliefs. And when those are in play, our language speaks to those really loudly without us being aware of those. Thanks for bringing that up. That's exactly what ends up happening. It shows up in a lot of different ways too. These, uh, these limiting beliefs, that imposter syndrome, it's all the narratives that we tell ourselves, right? It boils down to, uh, the, what's true and what's not true. That's true for us in the moment. That's why we call them blind spots. As I always say, change your mind, change your life. Right? Yeah. And back, Mark, I was thinking about that this morning, the, uh, the change your mind thing. Like we now know through neuroscience that we can rewire the synapses in our brains. Like we can literally change our way of thinking physiologic, not just, you know, through reciting and affirmations and all that stuff. That's maybe part of it. That concept was spoken about in ancient manuscripts, in the Bible, you name it. And yet now neuroscience is finally proving it, that we can do it. So the challenge then is doing it, like learning to actually challenge the stories that we tell ourselves, challenge those narratives. Is it really true? You know, is this really how people perceive me? Am I really the, the great almighty leader that I think I am? I mean, just challenging all those narratives to try to get in touch with what's reality, right? And then changing those synapses by like any time we have what we, we teach in, uh, or one of our programs, uh, called the negativity bias. How do you, how do you change and rewire that negative thought process? Cause we all deal with it, right? The negativity bias is a, call it an evolutionary protection mechanism, right? To be on total alert at all times to protect yourselves. Well, how often do you find yourself with this negative thought that just kind of ruins your day or ruins the moment, right? The next time you do that, here's a little tip. The next time you have one of those negative thoughts, stop it in its tracks and immediately think of something or someone you're grateful for. But here's the real hard part. That sounds easy. The hard part is you have to maintain that positive thought of gratitude for a minimum of 15 seconds. And you're like, well, 15 seconds, that's nothing. Yeah, try it. <laughs> try it and see if you don't have other negative thoughts or other interfering thoughts trying to stop that graph and, you know, gratitude moment. Uh, but that's how you begin. That's one process to begin rewiring the brain so that you're always, you're not always, you know, 
defaulting to a negative area. I think it goes back to a lot of what was spoken about today is the intentionality of it. If we just go sort of on, like you drive to work and you go the same route every day, just automatic, you get rid of that because it's easier to do that. You know, and when you're talking about our brain, um, and how we think of things, it's just sort of like, that's how we were built. But, and it takes that additional effort and that intention to change it, but the benefit is great, but it's so easy just to fall into those same routines and everything because you know, you don't have to use, expend that additional mental energy and stuff to accomplish those things. Yeah, that's great. I love it, Gerald. Yeah. The, uh, the intentionality is just critical and that's exactly what happens is we all, I think we're all guilty of this. We all tend to fall into those routines and in it's in those routines where our blind spots manifest and, you know, take over because we don't, we're not paying attention. We, you know, we like to use the phrase paying attention, right? We do need to take some extra steps. Like we had, we had a coaching client a while back that struggled and that like, we all know we need to work out. Like it's, it, we need to exercise in some form to stay healthy, right? That's just like common knowledge. Everybody knows it. I don't know why I struggle so much with it, uh, but this particular client was struggling with it. And the irony is every single day going to and from work, he drove right by a fitness center. Didn't even have to go out of his way. It was right there. It's like, okay, what's stopping you? Well, it's not the $30 monthly charge. That's certainly not it. You know, it's, uh, it's not, you know, all the other excuses you're using. Okay. So let's, because now it's just a habit. So let's break the habit. You can't go home the same way anymore. Next time you go home from work, you need to take a different turn. And if you're going to take a left, make a right, figure it out, navigate a whole new path, right? Make your way back to that fitness center in this new navigation. And then eventually, you know, several weeks into the process, like, okay, now next time you go by that center, stop and pull into the parking lot. Don't get out of the car. Don't, don't even park. Just pull into the parking lot and then go home. You know, next time we're going to do it. Now get out of the car. You don't go up to the door, don't go in the door, just get out of the car because you had to park and now get back in the car and go home. Right. So it's these little incremental steps of breaking really bad habits sometimes. And eventually it's like, okay, now go inside. Now talk to somebody. Now sign up and get a membership. Now actually do the exercise. Right. And those little routine breakers will actually change behavior. Good point, Gerald. And then just share them with Licky and Kevin, and we'll call you and hound you every day to make sure you're getting those done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or at least find an accountability partner, somebody who will, <laughs> do, somebody who will, uh, who will hold you accountable, uh, voluntarily, you know, not beat you over the head, but you, you basically say, Hey, just check on me, <laughs> ask me how I'm doing. So don't look for your car in the parking lot as I drive. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global, a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, Please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.